FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 468 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason. Sexy, crazy, time bomb, minimal. Yep, that's me. Just waiting to go boom. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> anyway, this is a uh, bonus flashback episode on Marvel Comics Presents 150 and Change. Um, this will be a really short episode, most likely. Unless I just find myself chasing rabbits. Which is always possible. That's, that's always the unknown with me, right? How many rabbits will I chase? But, I mean... By this point, Marvel Comics Presents is pretty much just a dumpster fire. Luckily, Wolverine has not been in it very much recently, and I don't think he's in it much after these two stories we're going to talk about uh, through the end of the series. Um, I don't know if it's just a coincidence that like, after he loses the adamantium they only do a couple of stories, or and just switches more to Ghost Rider Supernatural themes, I think not in a good way, because I don't really like the Vengeance character. Um, I, I, I gave it a good try. Like, I never read it before. Uh, it wasn't on my radar when I was reading comics as a teenager, and I certainly never went back to it. But as I've been going through these issues and going through the Ghost Rider stuff, I've, I've given it a try. I just don't really care for it. I don't like the design that much. don't really like the s- stories. Um, anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here... See, that's, there's rabbit number one, at least. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Marvel Comics Presents 150 and 155, which is two stories. Um, and yeah, I mean, the series turning 150, lasting 150 issues is kind of amazing, right? Because it's just an anthology series that, that quality has been extremely mixed. <laughs> There's been some good stuff that we've talked about. So a lot of the stuff I talked about, of course, with, with my good friend John Wilson podcaster legend John Wilson um and you know some stuff has been pretty crappy <laughs> as well um it's been a really mixed bag and for it to last 150 issues and it, it goes for several more um is really pretty impressive unfortunately I, we've reached a point in this series where there's really nothing for me to glom onto so I'm not going to have a lot to talk about today but it is a milestone and it's worth mentioning and, you know, plus it kind of picks up almost immediately after the wedding, which, of course, we just covered last episode with the wonderful Grant Richter from the uh, Superman podcast, Truth and Justice and Hope. So definitely check that out. And, you know, John has a, John Wilson, a very Superman surrounded, which is fine. It's good. I love Superman. Um, but John Wilson also has an amazing, I'm sure will be a Superman podcast coming out at the beginning of the year. And I'm sure you know about all his other podcasts that have existed in the past, maybe revisited. Who knows? We'll see. But, um, anyway, go, go check out Grant and John on their various projects. There's a lot of content out there for both of them, but I'm a uh, flying solo today. So let's just let's just jump into the content, as it were. Uh, Marvel Comics presents number one fifty is Bloody Mary Part One, 
written by Anne Nascenti, art and co-plotting by Steve Lytle, rest in peace, uh, letters by Yule Higgins, coloring by Marianne Lytle. Oh, that must be a relative, either a spouse or sibling. Uh, too much of a coincidence. Um, anyway, Lytle, Steve Lytle also does the cover, and it's a wraparound cover, and on it we have Typhoid Mary and a silver, almost chrome foil. It's not embossed though, it's flat. So it's almost more like a metallic ink maybe than a foil. I'm not sure, but definitely a 90s gimmick cover. Um, and flanking her, in front of her is the prostate unconscious body of what we're assuming is Mary, the more docile personality. Um, and then behind Typhoid or Bloody Mary, and it could be either one, but based on the story content, is Wolverine and Vengeance. Um, you know, it's funny, because in the story, I mean, we're definitely past Fatal Attractions, and Wolverine has bone claws. On the cover, his claws are pretty straight and sharp, and they're also embossed, or covered with the same either metallic ink or slight foil that Mary's body is in. So definitely appear to be adamantium claws on the cover that they won't be in the story. And then... On the back of the cover, we have Daredevil in his new 90s costume. And we have our new two new characters. Um, both of which we'll talk about to various degrees. But we have Jesse and Still Raven. One is just a civilian looking on the cover. And the other one is very much image 90s buxom female paramilitary heroine. So, it's an okay cover. I like Steve Lytle, for the most part. Um, and he is definitely the best part of this issue. <laughs> so, alright. Here we go. Let's, let's get started. So, uh, Wolverine has the summer's wedding blues. Um, he talks about the bow ties a little too tight. And he's kind of watched it. And he's not sure that Gene is doing the right thing. But, um, you know, he, he wishes him the best. And while he was there, I guess, you know, when he gave his letter to Professor Xavier, Xavier asked him to investigate a new psionic mutant. Not real sure why he sent Logan to do it when he knows what's going on with Logan, but he did. Um, but for some reason, Logan decides he needs help from Typhoid Mary, so he frees her from her asylum. Um, but Mary is captured and tortured. She sends a psychic SOS to all the boys she's kissed, except, except the Kingpin. He's not included. But Ghost Rider and Daredevil show up, except it's actually Vengeance now, not Ghost Rider. Also, introducing Steel Raven, who's security at the lab where she's captured. Uh, Mary escapes, but now a third personality exhibits Bloody Mary. And Bloody Mary is on a crusade to just kill men. Like she's just a, a man-hating woman uh, who wants to to kill all of the uh, less fair sex. <laughs> anyway, uh, she frees the kid Jesse, thinking that they're a girl, but they're a boy. And we'll put a linchpin on that, because we'll find out some interesting stuff about Jesse in the next issue. But where this one ends is you have kind of an androgynous boy with long hair. And so Bloody Mary had assumed that they were a girl, and so rescued her, or res rescued them, sorry. Um, but she then finds out that, at least biologically, uh, Jesse is a boy, and so she regrets rescuing 
No, because, you know, she's out to kill all the all the men. So, it's kind of a weird thing. We'll come back to that, though. There's, that's definitely probably the most interesting part of the story. <laughs> so, we'll definitely come back. But as this issue ends, that's kind of where we're left. Um, so, uh, really, <laughs> not much to say in this one. There's, there's a scene that I see pop up on Twitter a lot, which is this picture of Wolverine after he kind of starts the mission in a 90s black and purple costume. And, and he's going to fight vengeance because the classic heroes meet and fight. And um, I actually really dig the costume and wish I had an action figure of it. Uh, it's just, it's a tra- traditional Wolverine costume, mostly, but the, the cow is purple and black. And then he has some like brown leather boots and then his gloves are fingerless. So his, his gloves are a little bit different. And he does pop his claws here. And, you know, I know they're supposed to be bone. So when I see kind of the rough edges, I'm hoping that they're bone. You, you can argue that maybe Lionel wasn't sure whether he was drawing metal or bone. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it's a cool page and a cool costume. I'll definitely tweet it out. No, you've probably seen it uh, if you follow comic book Twitter. It, it pops up from time to time. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> uh, the art is really good. I mean, Steve Lytle is a good artist. Um, really enjoy the art. The story is pretty terrible. So, I'm going to give... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're done. Uh, Marvel Comics presents 152 out of 6 claws, which will take us to 151. Now here, we have some changes in the creative. So this is Battle of the Sexes Part 2, Bloody Mary Part 2. Um, still written by Anna Senti, Art by Fred Harper. So not no longer Steve Lytle. In fact, he has no credit. No credit as co-plotting this one. I think he maybe jumped ship <laughs> on this. Um, uh, letters are by Yule Higgins and John Babcock. Colors by Joe Andriani. Now, Lionel still does get to do the cover, and it's still another wraparound cover. And this time, we have Wolverine with distinctly bone claws um, facing off against Steel Raven, and we have Daredevil Vengeance, and the three Mary faces on the top. So, there you go. Um, oh, I guess one thing I should mention. Both of these, both Part 1 and 150, and Part 2... These are the only stories in the book. I'm guessing the extra characters who were kind of there. I mean, Daredevil and Vengeance really do almost nothing in these stories. Um, it's mostly just Wolverine and Mary. It's really mostly just Anacinti concluding her typhoid Bloody Mary story that you know she had had started. Obviously, we did with her Daredevil run, and then we had an MCP story where Wolverine and Typhoid Mary cross paths. Um, and then this is kind of the end of her Mary trilogy, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, and, but she gets the whole issue on both of these to, to finish it out. Um, in this one, uh, Bloody Mary is on a quest to kill all the men. Wolverine stops her. So the mutant empath Jesse ends up being transgender. And they help Mary embrace her sides as one person. So Jesse helps Mary kind of... It's not real clear. They just kind of talk to her. But it's it's weird. It's weird. Okay. Uh, I, the art is a huge step down. 
I don't really like the story. Uh, I gave uh, Marvel Comics Presents 151, one out of six claws. So, so a few things I, I think are worth mentioning about the story. Um, one, you know, I do want to mention, because it's come up a couple of times in Twitter conversations and on the last episode as well a little bit, I love Anne Nascenti's Daredevil run. You know, she she has a good stream of consciousness thing going in her writing style. Uh, the marriage of her writing and scripting with John Armina Jr.'s art at that time is perfect union. Um, it's a great run. I mean, not every issue is like, you know, top marks, but they're all pretty close. And overall, it's a really just solid, solid run. And having seen some different documentaries where Nascenti appears, she seems to be just a wonderful person, from what I can tell. If you, have, if you know of any skeletons in her closet or any misdeeds, uh, you can share if you want. <laughs> from what I can tell, she seems to be a really, really good person and an entertaining person, and I enjoy listening to her talk about her time at Marvel, um, you know, both as a writer and an editor, and kind of her her peers at the time, like Claremont and uh, Wheezy, Louis Simonson. Um, that's I find that all very interesting, and and generally, from what I can tell, it seems like I like Anderson as a person. But outside of her Daredevil run, I struggle with her writing in general. Um, you know, before I even went back and read Daredevil, I tried some of her new 52 stuff, like with Catwoman and stuff like that, and it wasn't bad. I, nothing hooked me in it. And then, having read some of her Marvel stuff outside of Daredevil, it's hard to really... It's just one of those things, right, that happens with artists of any sort, right? Whether it's comic book, painters, photographers, musicians, whatever. Sometimes someone just hits something the right way and you absolutely love it. But then when you look at their other output, you have trouble connecting, like, how is that the same? It doesn't feel like the same person. It doesn't feel like the same quality or effort or whatever, right? And, you know, you see that a lot with bands, right? They make maybe a phenomenal album. And you're like, yeah, I'm really a fan. And then you go listen to stuff before, you're like, well, maybe they just weren't there yet. They were on their way. But then you hear stuff after, and it still doesn't measure up. And you're like, okay, well, they just made this one album that is perfect, and they can't repeat it. <laughs> I, so I kind of feel the same way about uh, Anne Nascenti. Love, love, love her Daredevil stuff. I struggle with really anything else I've ever read or heard. I haven't read it all, so there's probably still some stuff I will get to at some point. But, um, you know, I did not really enjoy this story really much at all. Um, however, a couple of shining moments. I, like I said, I like kind of the espionage of black and purple Wolverine costume. Probably more Lytle than Nascenti. Want to give credit where credit's due. I'm sure Nascenti's notes probably just said, give him a new, like, spy mission costume. And then Lytle went to town and, and created a cool design and a cool color scheme. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. The other thing that I think is important, which I think you have to give Nascenti credit for, I'm guessing... Uh, maybe it's part of that Lytle Co plot in 150, but Jesse is, I'm pretty sure, the first transgender mutant ever for Marvel. And you know, I've seen a lot of stuff recently on Twitter about 
people asking where they are on Krakoa, like, where's Jesse? How come they're not around? Can we get a story? You know, with all the stuff going on, you know, post Hoxpox and a lot of all the diversity and stuff, Jesse needs a home on Krakoa. So let's see him. And so that's pretty cool. But honestly, why I agree with all of that, I really had nothing to base it on because I had not read these issues until the other day. So, and I knew from people talking that the appearances were slim to none, right? Like, it's kind of this debut, um, and then they kind of disappear forever, and that's about it. And um, so, yeah, so I, I do think it's really important and really kind of historic, right? That here in 1993, going into 94, really the, the earliest months of 94, I think, um, I'm not as good as some of my peers as like looking up publication dates. I probably should be. It's not hard. I just always, I never think about it until I'm in the middle of talking. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you know, that's, that's pretty early. I mean, in the, in the early nineties, I knew about, you know, growing up in a suburb of Dallas and Texas, not exposed to a lot of, you know, non-heteronormative sexuality. Um, and when I did, it was usually through the lens of, of ridicule or people making fun of it, which, of course, is unfortunate. But nonetheless, by the time I was in high school, I knew of a f- few people who were LGBT, but really not the T. I don't think I really understood or, or met anyone who could represent in the face of transgenderism and, and kind of opening up my world to that. I knew the concept probably by the time I was graduating high school, going into college, as far as like what it actually entailed, what people were actually going through when they're dealing with that. I don't think I ever met anyone until my early 20s. And I'm not saying that as a mark of pride. I'm actually kind of ashamed of that. <laughs> but it's just the way my life just happened to go and who I happened to meet. Um, so, so to me, seeing this character debuting as a transgender mutant, nonetheless so and I like when when they play on that if anything I would say this is not emphasized enough in the story but anyway to me it feels way ahead of its time as far as you know claiming that and and presenting that in a positive light and introducing a character um, who's in you know part of the story to represent you know transgenderism in early 1994 seems to me just really actually yeah because you know the first time I really ever remember seeing a sympathetic view was in what was that movie and I don't even know if this holds up well or if it's appreciated by the community or not I'm just saying the first time I remember seeing it in media was uh, the crying game I think it's what it's called um, and so yeah so I, and I saw that I think it may have come out the end of my high school career I did not see it until I went to college I remember watching it one night in the dorm room um, with some friends and be like, oh, okay. Um, but anyway, I don't, I'm not probably the right person to, to talk about this exclusively. I wish, you know, but you know, I do think it's important. I'm glad it happened. I would like to see more of the character. And I think there is a missed opportunity in the story with, you know, kind of the double minority thing, right? Or the double marginalization, because I, we see that from time to time in the X-Men mythos where they're being marginalized because they're mutant, but then they also have just a real-life marginalization either through their sexuality, like we see here, or 
you know, through ethnicity or, or whatever. And stories that kind of hit that is kind of like the double whammy of what a character is going through, I think can be really powerful. Not always. Sometimes they're just a, I don't know, a, a, a story grab. <laughs> but they can be really good. And I wish maybe Nacinti had focused a little more but a little less subtle on what she was doing with Jesse and maybe played into some of, of what the character was feeling. But, but it's not... I, when I say maybe less subtle, it is obvious, right? Because the character says, I, I'm i a boy, but I feel like a girl. And that's where they connect with Mary um, and try to help Mary because kind of the disassociation of themselves from their biological gender. And then comparing that to Mary's disassociation with her different personalities. You know, there there's a foundation and a scene here for a really great story. I don't think it delivers, personally. I would love to hear what people think. Um, you know, especially if you're happy about the, the character, and that's a character that means a lot to you. Does that just completely outweigh, like, the way, like, the actual writing of the script? <laughs> like, does it not really matter at that point? Because it's just so important that we have this character that the story can be crafted and you don't care? Or, you know, are you reading the story maybe a little bit differently and maybe find some more just... Because here, here's what I look at it for this one, and I'll probably end here on these issues. I don't think they're very good comics, but I think there's some important things in the comics that I would like to see more of, and the Jesse character is one of them. So, there you go. I mean, for what it's worth from, you know, me, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I, I found it to be something that, that there were a couple of aspects I really latched onto as important, but overall did not enjoy the story and really the art in the second one is just really bad and really is unfortunate. But um, anyway, so that's our milestone 150th issue of Marvel Comics Presents and the story that goes with it. So next we're going to kick off to uh, Marvel Comics Presents 152 through 155. So we have three covers by, uh, what's his first name? Tom Grinberg or Grinberg. Uh, 152 has a almost sloth like from Goonies Wolverine standing on top of a bloody gargoyle and he's in some kind of either cave or jungle or both uh, it's a really cool cover except for Wolverine so Grimberg does this thing which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't where his characters are a little bit amorphous and they're always kind of top heavy right uh, you know and not not just big characters like it makes it made sense with this Thor or with any kind of like Hulk or whatever. But then a Silver Surfer, who's normally kind of swim, was also the same way. Just this big, massive, top-heavy, amorphous character. Um, you know, body type-wise, it works okay for Wolverine, but for whatever reason, he just has this goofy, goblin-y smile on his face, and he's kind of hunched over, and just, it's, it's, it's a weird look. But the colors and everything else on the cover are pretty great. Uh, 153 has a cover of Wolverine, running through the jungle, and it's not bad. It's okay. Then 154 has a really cool cover by Grinberg of Wolverine in some very thin trees that are dark, and there's some blood spots, and he's in a pool of blood with a skeleton below him, and it looks pretty great. And then 155, Grinberg is not do the cover. Um, well, it's, it's credited as a cover, but it's obviously McNeil's signature. And it's a really cool cover of War Machine stepping out of, like, some intense heat. It looks great. 
Alright, so these are Pure Sacrifice, Part 1, A Night to Remember, written by Dwight Zimmerman and Neil Yamtov. Pencils by Paul Ryan, inks by Ray Garcia, letters by Yul Higgins, colors by Joe Andriani. And then Pure Sacrifice, Part 2, Logan's Run, written by just Neil Yamtov. Pencils by Phil Hugh Felix, inks by Ray Garcia, letters by Yul Higgins, colors by George Rosas. And 154 is Pure Sacrifice. It says part four of four, but it's part three of four. Uh, written by, as I put a spell on you, written by Nell Yamtov. Pencils by Phil Hugh Felix. Inks by Ray Garcia. Letters by Yule Higgins. Colors by George Rosas. And then 155 is actually Pure Sacrifice, part four of four. I put a spell on you with the same creative. So they got their, they got their credits mixed up somewhere. But anyway, uh, basically in this story, Wolverine is visiting Tiger Tiger in Madripoor when the Indiana Jones bad guys from that story in Marvel Comics Presents number 62 and change uh, break in and kidnap her and they already have kidnapped Archie. He's bound and gagged and they're just kind of carrying him around. Because <laughs> when you kidnap one person and you're going to kidnap someone else, you got to just let the other person travel around with you. <laughs> instead of leaving them at your base or whatever. Um, anyway, the boss is able to beat Logan uh, because Logan's healing factor is off and he has no adamantium. Um, he wants to replace Tiger Tiger as head of the Madripoor underworld. His plan is super dumb, though, because his plan is he wants to take all the criminals that flee to Madripoor and sell them back to countries that they're running from. Which, okay, he has like this, you know, wealth of a resource of these criminals and sure it makes sense like people are looking for them they can sell them the problem is surely after that happens a couple of times criminals will just stop coming to Madripoor and there's no sustainability in this plan at all this business model sucks <laughs> I think it makes no sense to me it's like it's not just like oh exploiting a resource and stripping it all out of the ground and leaving the ground barren like his model is criminals come here they always come here. They've been coming here for years. I can just have this perpetual, you know, cycle, and I will get these criminals, and I'll get some information, and I'll sell them back and turn them over to people that want them for money. But, I mean, word spreads in the underground. Criminals would just go somewhere else. And they don't want to be sold. <laughs> Anywho, Logan uh, uses his Madripoor informants to find the bad guys base in the jungle and manages to beat them all without ever once popping his claws because, you know, it hurts now and he doesn't want to do that. So the story is okay, but it glosses over a lot to save space. Even with four chapters, you know, we are back to the full anthology. It's just a few pages apiece. A lot of the fighting is skipped over. A lot of the plot is just skipped over. We're like, hey, this happened. You just didn't see it. Um, a lot of that. And the art, uh, the Paul Ryan's a little bit better than the other, but I didn't really like any of it. It's not really for me. So I gave this whole story, Marvel Comics Presents 152 to 155, two out of six claws. So we are going to have some bonus material real fast. Incredible Hulk number 411, which is written by Peter David, art by Gary Frank, inks by Cam Smith, letters by Joe Rosas, colors by Glennis Oliver, and a cover by Gary Frank. Uh, it's a pretty cool cover. It has Hulk shooting, yes, shooting, big guns and Nick Fury. Um, so anyway, uh, Hulk in the Pantheon versus S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has one of their people prisoners. 
Pantheon Astral back. They said no, so now they're fighting. But also, uh, Marla has just come out of her coma, and she and Rick Jones are planning a wedding. And Rick is looking through some old photos, including a great one where he's giving Wolverine bunny ears. That's really all there is to it. <laughs> um, the art's pretty good. It actually is very reminiscent, and I think intentionally replacing and reminiscent of Del Keown. Of course, I really love what he did when he did Superman stuff in the 2000s and made Superman look like Chris Reeve. And I really enjoyed that. Um, anyway, it's pretty good. So, the story. Overall, I have dug Peter David Hulk Run, for the most part. This Pantheon story, or era, I guess you were saying, is it several stories in this era of, of Hulk having gotten smart and hulky at the same time and joining this this organization called the Pantheon who like, have all these machinations around the world. Um, it started off okay. Some of the characters are kind of interesting. And it's kind of wore out as welcome with me. So I'm not a huge fan of the stories right at this moment. So for Hulk 411, I gave it 3 out of 6 claws. Alright, well that's going to do it for this Bubba bonus episode. Hope you enjoyed it. I hope I don't sound like I'm being too apologetic. I understand that allies are needed, and I want to be an ally, but I also understand that my perspective is skewed towards you know, being a straight white guy. And you know, I just you know, sometimes wish I <laughs> had a little bit different perspective so I could talk about that, but you know, I will talk about it from my perspective and just just know for anyone from the LGBT and focusing on this issue, the transgender part of my, of my listenership or my friends on Twitter or my friends in real life, just know that I'm in your corner and I definitely love and support all of you. And so I hope that nothing in my conversation came off as weird or, or wrong, but hey, if it did, just reach out in friendliness, correct me, and I'll keep trying to do better. But Anyway, it's always kind of a weird thing to talk about because I am super supportive and I want to express my support. I also don't want to pretend that I'm a person of authority on it because it's not my experience. So it's always kind of a tricky ground to walk, but I do my best. Um, And hopefully you find some value in it. But if nothing else, hear me say 100% in your corner, love you. So there you go. Um, as far as what's next, I'm hoping the next episode will be me and the Excalibros talking about some new comic books. But if not, uh, the flashback train is rolling pretty good right now. So we'll get something going on with that. So as always for the uh, podcast and go snit, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snitcast. Show notes and stuff at snitcast.podbean.com. And until next time, everyone. Stay safe, stay well. Hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.